0: Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Sickle, the stories based podcast that interviews donors, thought leaders, and professionals in the field of fundraising. This week, I talk with Connor Adams, Senior Director of Development, College of Engineering and School of Architecture at University of Miami, about returning to his alma mater in a leadership position. Connor is reimagining a team that supports two deans. We talk about how he manages his goals and plans to build his team, ways he has stewarded donors, and his view on Zoom versus in-person relationship building. As an experienced university and education fundraiser, Connor is passionate about the power of education as a key pillar of growth, success, and life, particularly its ability to serve as an agent for social change and the creation of collaborative communities. After earning his master's degree in Student Affairs Administration from Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, and Bachelor's of Science in Education from the University of Miami, Connor began his career at the Portland State University. From there, he moved to New Mexico to be a director of development at the University of New Mexico Foundation, then later on to the land grant institution of New Mexico State University. As of early 2022, Connor began as the senior director of development for the College of Engineering at his alma mater, University of Miami, and was recently promoted to oversee the School of Architecture in addition to engineering. Connor professionally describes himself as trusted advisor, change maker, relationship manager, and impact consultant. On a non-professional side, he is a father, husband, golfer, and coffee aficionado. Let's get started. Hey, Connor. Welcome to The Debrief.
1: Uh, Thanks, Catherine. Great to be here.
0: So you've recently... Revisited your alma mater. What was it like to return there after some great years in New Mexico?
1: Yeah, coming back to the U University of Miami has been a, a sense of pride for myself. To work for my alma mater is something I always thought would happen, never sure when, but a goal that I internally tried to achieve throughout my career, uh, professional fundraising career but understanding that University of Miami is a very much a large professional organization that I wasn't sure I would ever have that chance to get to yet. Being relatively newer in my career, I wasn't sure how long it would take to get there. And I'm really fortunate to maintain some of those great relationships with the development alumni relations team that's still there with the university leadership that was there when I was a student. And I, I appreciate their leadership styles and it matched up with mine. And it created a great opportunity for my daughter and my wife and our family to move to sea C-level, which we're really excited about.
0: How does it feel different having experienced the institution yourself? Like, is it more fun for you? Is it easier in some way?
1: It's easier and harder because um, as a student, you don't know as much as you know as a professional. And as a professional, you may not know as much as you know it. If you weren't a student right but what i can what i do see is that no matter what my role is i want the university to be that much more successful because i am an alum of that uh, university i graduated with a education degree from university of miami i don't work in the education school but i want to see education be successful just as much i want to see athletics or my two schools of engineering and architecture. I really wanna see the whole university be successful because I am an alum and I wanna work that much harder to do a great job for the university.
0: So describe your current role that you just started. You've already uh, been promoted since you've gone back to Miami.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for acknowledging that. I I started in January of 2022 and I was most recently moved into a different uh, role to oversee not just one college, but now a second college as well. So I was hired to lead the College of Engineering and fundraising team, small dynamic team um, with a, the with a Dean. And now I've been asked to combine our efforts with engineering and the School of Architecture. And so having a second Dean and a second set of faculty and second set of goals and priorities and visions um, is really exciting. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the leadership to invest in that um, yeah. t- new type of model, but I'm also very uh, humble that they thought that I would be a, a great, uh, great fit for that type of um, structure.
0: Yeah, it's really exciting. And I've never been at an institution with that structure. I think it's really interesting. So I'm excited to talk more about it. But before we do, you know, your previous role in New Mexico, you were seated more centrally. So you were supporting all of the deans in some capacity, but now you have a bit more of a focus with the two schools. So what has it been like making that transition for you?
1: Yeah, when I was more central, I had estimated maybe a dozen deans on top of the provost and the president and executive leadership as well. And there's something to be said about having a holistic understanding of the university as a whole you know everything about everything, which is great. And if you don't know, you can point them in the right direction. Now I'm very much focused on engineering and architecture and learning as much as I can about those two schools. So I don't have to learn as much of the university outside of those two programs. Right. Um, But there's still a lot, right? Our engineering school has six departments, 11,000 alumni, architecture is smaller in size and scope, but they still have, they're doing a robust amount of work inside the walls of School of Architecture. Um, both deans are innovative. One is new, one has been here a few years, so they have different philosophies, but innovative, creative, very future thinking, and uh, that's wonderful to have in in deans. So I uh, am very much in support of the programs. I do think that There's quite a bit of overlap between architecture and engineering in terms of the type of education, pedagogy, type of students, uh, curriculum, and type of projects that they might be working on. So there is a, a great synergy between the two.
0: I know this is recent, but what's your plan in terms of keeping the goals and the priorities clear in your head for the two schools?
1: Our leadership has invested in a few more Uh, staff members for the team so we will be a total of a team of five to support both schools so that will be a huge help in in order for us to reach our uh, our goals we are in a two and a half billion dollar campaign by 2025 and so we have some lofty goals for every school including the uh, medical school as well you know I think my vision is to empower my team to get out there as much as possible to solicit as much as they can To engage in those conversations early, Um, you know, don't be afraid, Uh, be fearless in the type of work that they're doing. Engage with donors uh, often and keep them engaged as often as they can and in as meaningful ways as they can. Ask those challenging questions early on. Ask about planned giving early on. I think we heard in our last episode of yours that there are two episodes of planned giving is a big part of philanthropy. it's never yeah. too never too early, never too late. And so um, where can that play a role in the conversation? You know, asking some turn questions about what's what do they want to accomplish? What do donors want to accomplish with their resources that's meaningful to them? Whether it's architecture engineering related or whether it's university related, we are we represent the university. And so if there are blended ways to combine passions, we should explore those. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to think about athletics, capital project with an engineering scholarship with an architecture sponsored studio, there are ways to accomplish their vision and be as creative as we can. So my vision is to empower my team to, to do that. But at the same time, understanding that we need to stay organized. We need to have a fast paced uh, work environment because our deans are not slowing down once school starts. Our colleges are really gearing up for the fall and at the University uh, of Miami football season is upon us. And so that is a, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. Writing. And so we need to be strategic in the work that we do, uh, but also we understand that our goals are, are there for reasons and we need to make sure we do our, our best to hit those goals and those metrics.
0: So how have you decided to structure the new positions that the university is invested in?
1: There will be two uh, frontline fundraisers. Uh, there will be an engagement officer, which is a newer type of model within the units.
0: Now, that's also frontline, right?
1: There is a fundraising component to that. So yes. Right. And then we will have a coordinator and development coordinator for the team. I, you,
0: you referenced getting out there, which I thought was great. I agree. But when you say that, are you thinking Zoom and online? Are you thinking in person? What does that mean for you?
1: I think a lot of both. I think there's a power and there's something to be said about leveraging technology in this new this new normal that we're in, pandemic um, causing. So how can we streamline our efforts to align mm-hmm. with um, technology, to manage our resources, financial resources? How do we do more with less? Uh, and so I, I think getting out there is not being afraid to email, call, text, uh, Zoom. LinkedIn, I do a lot of work on LinkedIn. And so having our university invest in our in our development officer's premium membership of LinkedIn is an incredible asset for us Yeah, to engage with folks who are active on LinkedIn as their only social media presence. Uh, so I do quite a bit of my uh, discovery work through LinkedIn.
0: Are you recommending the same for your team members? I mean, I think something that's been on people's minds, especially as they onboard new staff, is how to parse out building the relationships in person versus online, um, and I think people are struggling with that right now. So I'd love to hear your thoughts.
1: I would absolutely uh, recommend at least LinkedIn as a professional way to connect to our prospects, our donors, to help qualify. First, for a lot of professionals, that is their source of social media presence and, or and or that is their way to keep up their information and so how can we use LinkedIn to update our database if it's uh, not, yeah. not as clean as it could be a lot of people will post their contact information their educational history years they graduated courses they took current roles that they're in with job titles even a picture on LinkedIn can help our database uh, I hate to go into a, a coffee or a lunch and not know who I'm looking for.
0: Yeah, so true.
1: Especially if I'm, you know, talking about a, a individual John Smith as a common name. There's so many out there and in our database, but who is it that I'm actually looking for? And so I don't want to be that awkward person looking around. You
0: know. <laughs> I've been that person so many times. All right,
1: we all have. <laughs> but um, if we had a cleaner database, if we leveraged our uses of social media and kept those databases as hygienic mm-hmm. as possible. Uh, it would alleviate the awkwardness behind that. Uh, that goal. Uh, but I would absolutely recommend um, scouring our social media. I think Lisa Greer, a while back, said take five minutes to do a quick Google search on everybody. Right. Such and, good
0: advice. So simple right. and yet.
1: And you know so that's, spot on. that's wonderful advice from from her in her book and Plant Revolution. And I'm I do that all the time now. When hiring or when trying to find current, up to date information about people, just quick Google search keeps you out of trouble too for the university.
0: So I know you you are traveling less. I think everyone is traveling less industry wide. How are you getting potentially more done while traveling less? I know I'm kind of I'm still skirting around this, but I think people want to hear how you're doing it.
1: We are traveling less, but we're traveling for more. Um, pointed reasons or impactful reasons. Mm-hmm. We can leverage, of course, the use of Zoom like we are and other forms of technology to qualify, to engage at certain points, uh, to go through that cultivation cycle. But there comes a point where that cultivation cycle needs to move to a face-to-face. Right. And, and so there are times when we, we should invest in that type of, uh, that type of work. And so I'm grateful that when the need comes to travel, uh, I can justify we're in this part of the process of the donor pipeline. And here is a solicitation we're planning on presenting to this donor in person in their office. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's something to be said about that rather than a Zoom proposal, uh, which we've done, we all have, as we need to, and we need to continue to do what we can. But how can we be more strategic when we do travel? I do tr- when I travel. I will if I go for three days. I will probably try to do three to four visits a day, to maximize the resources that are being invested in that trip. And so, and so you were just
0: a- in NYC. We got to meet there.
1: We didn't. What a what a privilege that was to meet you. That was Texas.
0: so much fun, but it sounded like a lot came out of that trip. What? How did that go? What was it like for you?
1: Yeah, there was a wonderful trip. Um, I try to get to New York once or twice a year as. That is a a great spot for our our student population, our alumni base. A lot of the snowbirds are going back up to New York for the summertime instead of in Miami. So I definitely take advantage of that, of the summer if I can in New York. Um, Wonderful time there and met with some fantastic alumni or alumni and alums that we haven't really interacted with in the past, but who have been very successful in their roles. Um, but we just didn't know a lot about and so how can I've engaged with a, quite a few of them on how we can continue to engage them continue to keep them involved I, we so had have couple... you had
0: meetings with each of these people already on zoom or were any of these first time discovery meetings
1: most of them were uh, not first time conversations okay. yeah uh, but some of them just because I'm in the city I was able to tap or, uh, add on to our trip. Right. Uh, who else I, should I visit? Younger alums, older alums, people who are volunteer leaders of the university, mm-hmm. whether they're uh, part of my colleges or not. How can we continue to keep engaged with our volunteer leaders or industry professionals? And so it was a fantastic trip. Uh, we're doing a lot of innovation, entrepreneurship type work in, in our schools. And so how can we utilize um, individuals off Wall Street to be to play a role? How can the aerospace uh, within LaGuardia and JFK play an active role in, in uh, our conversations between autonomous mobility and urban air uh, mobility, flying vehicles and whatnot. And so yeah. um, how can infrastructure? So we met with some great individuals and it was a worthwhile trip that, um, we met, or I met probably 10 or 12 different donors and prospects out there, and it was fabulous. So I'm, I'm grateful that when the time comes, we have the opportunities to travel.. Uh, right. But I, I do see the need to travel less, do more on the back end before you are able to kind of get to that face-to-face conversation and approach just to uh, manage your resources properly and physically mm-hmm. be conservative as we are all tight in budgets, of course. And so uh, how can we get creative in
0: that way? When when we did meet in person, we had a really fun conversation. And one of the things I was asking you about was how you like to thank your donors. And you had some really great examples. So tell us.
1: Sure. I like to be creative uh, as I'm able to. I like to take, you know, we've always heard, listen twice as much as you talk. We have two ears and one mouth, listen twice. So taking those listening skills and remembering what donors' interests are, what they love, what they dislike, what their passions are, and turning that into a stewardship piece. So a couple examples that come to mind are I had an individual out of California in a previous role who absolutely loved, loved, loved red wine. And there was a specific type of red wine from, of course, Napa. That she says this is the type of wine I drink. Not snobby or anything, but just she found what she loves and wants wants to stick to that. And you know, this individual made a significant endowment to uh, to a school and in, in the program that she graduated from. And, you know, we wanted to recognize her and steward her properly, say thank you in a different way than just a thank you card, a letter signed by a dean or a president or somebody, and thank them. We actually had that her favorite bottle of wine sent to her in a custom wine box, and the bottle and the box were both engraved with her name, the year, and the name of her endowment. Uh, And in this case, there were two, so front and back of the bottle. And it was a wonderful, story that we told through this kind of stewardship gift, uh, thank you gift. And I, I'm very, uh, i very, this is years ago and I still think about that creativeness of that gift and how much it meant to, to the individual and to the donor. I can get really creative when the investment is more significant, but mm-hmm. still there are ways when the investment is still lower amounts uh, that are still meaningful to the program, to the student, to the university. We can still get creative more creative than just a thank you card. Um, we can use thank for you. We can use our ma- university mascot. We can get creative in certain ways. And so I, I do love that. And I guess the last one, dedication spaces is something you know universities love to do, um, ribbon cuttings for grand openings of buildings or suites or offices or whatnot. And recently we've done one and we took the ribbon cutting that the donors cut and we saved a, a piece of it, maybe 12, 14 inches of that ribbon. It says our university logo. And we just we took a, a piece of that and took it to a store, had a floating frame of that ribbon, had our photographer send us a couple images of the donors and we framed that ribbon, framed the photo, put a plaque at the bottom of what the dedication was and their, their name and date. And, and then I, I brought that to dinner and it turned out to be a uh, 24 by 28 frame. Wow. And they, really they, loved, they loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, and they couldn't have thanked us enough. And I even got many calls and emails afterwards about how creative uh, our appreciation is for, mm-hmm. for there. Um, and they cannot thank us enough for us being thankful. And so it's a, it's a great cycle to have. So I, you know, I try to, I try to adhere to a donor's interests and love for something. You know, I've met with donors for, for runs, for dog walks, for bike rides.
0: Yeah. That is so cool that you do that.
1: And so some of those are my passions too. I have a dog, I have a bike. I used to run. And so I can, I can do some of these things and creative, but it also, it gives me an opportunity to meet with donors with when or where they are at rather than on our our kind of mutual location I can come to them and so
0: and how does that us. how does that come about like are you talking about it and it's suggested in some setting or how do you get to that point like how do you get from the office to the mountain to a bike ride?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, from Lisa Greer's point of a five-minute google search
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can learn a lot about a prospect or a donor or an alum and so I can quickly type in their name click on images see who I'm speaking with if I've never met them but see that they're also been in a um, 50 mile road race uh, on a bike and I can see their results because it's all public and congratulate them on a on successfully finishing that bike race I'd love to go out on my bike with you a lot of it comes up just by a quick google search a lot of it comes up in just conversation and listening mm-hmm. to the donor Sometimes I'll go to a donor's home and see a, a slew of bikes hanging on in their garage. I'll go to their office and see pictures of their bikes internationally. And, and so it seems like they love to travel, but travel with their uh, recreation equipment. Um, I travel with my golf clubs. People travel with bikes, with golf clubs, et cetera. Yeah. So how can you meet the individual where they're at? And that's important for the work that we do to show how much we are committed to get getting to know them and And being a part of their story, not just being a part of ours.
0: I think it's such an interesting approach because it's a fine line to cross. You know, we're not trying to be people's friends. I think we want to keep a professional boundary. And yet having an experience like that with someone is really memorable. And that is true relationship building.
1: I try to pride myself on, you know, I'm a a people pleaser by nature. (laughs) And trying to, uh, you know, make people happy and connect with people and connect them to the right people. If it's not me, then it's someone else who might be a better fit for the conversations. But you're right. We're not, we're not here to be their best friend, but we don't also want to go so far on the other side that we don't want to know as as much as we can about them. So
0: right. Cause the other side is stiff and transactional.
1: Right. And we don't want to be transactional, Yeah, uh, but we don't want to be. Too friendly that it's more than just a relationship. Uh, So we have to find where that relational uh, philanthropy comes into play. And Mm -hmm. you know, there are still donors today that I keep in touch with years later.
0: So today's a special day for you. Your closing gift. I know you can't give details per se, but tell us what you're working on and share what you can.
1: Sure. Um, It should it should close within the next uh, day or two. Crossing our fingers, we're just finalizing the language and mm-hmm. making sure that it's uh, it all works out on from from all perspectives, from a donor to financial aid to admissions to fundraising side. But it is a um, seven figure gift to promote women in STEM for the university, and we're very proud of that. And we want to promote that as much as we can. So we're very excited to uh, to be a part of this this conversation and bringing. a a vision to fruition. And so it's-
0: Was it a long time coming or was this an accelerated conversation?
1: This is more accelerated than they normally have been. But I I believe that this is a first step to a larger conversations down the road. But we really need to do a fantastic job of making sure that this is done uh, perfectly for the years to come in order for us to go back later on. The individuals knew what they wanted to accomplish. And we just needed to get the right people in place to bring it to, to close.
0: I think we're seeing that more out of the the deep pandemic months that people just have more clarity on what they want to accomplish with their giving. So that's great to hear.
1: Yeah, I would think that's true. A lot of people, whether you're an alum or not, or you're, whatever your professional background is, is you have an idea of what you want to support. Or if you have children in uh, their passions, I remember... At an institution, we asked a donor for a gift to athletics, but that wasn't their passion. And their passion was for ADA accessibility for students on campus, because that impacted his family and his his, um, college life and his daughter's life. And so I think it's all about the conversations we have and understanding who our donors are and listening and really allowing them to tell us their story and working together as a partnership.
0: Well, Connor, this has been so great. I would love to close with my signature question, which I think you know, because I know you listen. Sure. Which is, what do you know for sure?
1: You do not get a second chance to make a good first impression. And so.
0: Oh, I love that one.
1: uh, Making sure that you are prepared, you take your time, you really are educated on what you're talking about, and you represent your organization and yourself personally at the highest level possible. Because that is what they, the donor, uh, the organization, the alum, the prospect, the constituent, that is what they will remember. That is what I know for sure.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week and getting a little sense of the way Connor views his work and his new leadership position at his alma mater. I hope you have a great week and connect on social at DevDebrief. Check out the website at www.DevDebrief.com and get excited to hear from Shauna Hawking about her new book that is launching on the day of our podcast release, November 15th, called One Bold Move a Day. Can't wait to talk to you then.
1: Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. We're thrilled to feature the development debrief on Evertrue Studios' podcast network. Check us out at Evertrue.com backslash studios.